Right, 1 Peter chapter 5 then. So we're in the last chapter of 1 Peter. This letter that was written, as we heard, to Christian communities in the first century. Written by Peter, the apostle, the follower, the disciple of Jesus. Last week we were seeing what Peter had to say to us about suffering. He said quite a lot in his letter about suffering and and lots of it kind of came together in that little section uh, at the second half of chapter 4. And as I've said before, it seems as if Peter, or rather the Holy Spirit, is using Peter to prepare these Christian communities for what's to come. Because at the time the letter was written, the temperature was beginning to rise in the Roman Empire, and it was going to get a a great deal hotter. And it's an interesting way to read this letter uh, as preparation from the Holy Spirit to God's people to equip them for tough times ahead. And we saw how uh, individuals react to suffering. Not by surprise or by being overwhelmed, but Peter says you can actually be joyful in it. You can know a connection with Jesus in it all. We also saw how that you can, as a whole community, be reacting, be facing suffering together. Peter talks of how God might uh, use that to work in people at those tough times. As we saw God's holiness cleaning up the act, as it were, of God's people. It's not saying that God directly sends suffering into our lives, but the Bible does say that he promises to be at work for good, but when it comes. Uh, There's a lot about that on the the message last week. If you missed it, then pick up a CD or download it in due course from, from the website. Two elements of Christian experience, Peter sees. There's the individual experience of God, our personal salvation, but there's also this shared experience of faith together in community. And you see it in this letter, these two elements of Christian experience together often, as we saw last week. Remember, in the early part of it, when Peter talks about Jesus as the cornerstone, the living stone, he says, as individuals you come to him individually, you know Jesus, you put your trust in him, you're connected to him. But then he says, as you do that together, you discover you're built into like a a, a living temple, a, a, a building kind of thing. He uses that metaphor. Because faith in Jesus has this personal and this corporate, this together expression, and both are important. Both are good. It's not about one or the other, it's about both and. We need that to know that uh, salvation, that rescue of Jesus for ourselves. We need to know personal faith, but we also need to live that out in community with, with others. Scissors are used, more useful than a knife, aren't they? In certain ways, because they've got two blades. They're balanced. It's easier to walk than it is to hop. You can kind of think of the Christian experience of these two elements. Your personal faith in Jesus and your corporate expression. Life with other believers in community. Both go together. And maybe if if you're listening to this on on the CD or on the web, because you, you find it really tough to be in a community with others, I encourage you to try and find a way to do so. Because both are important, personal faith and life together with others. Now Peter's writing to this community, telling them to live good lives, so that people will see those good lives and glorify God. He wants them to be living these good lives so others will know something about God. And even though suffering may come, because good people, you may have noticed, don't always have a a great time of it. And Peter's been talking about that. 
So how can we be that kind of community? A community that does good, a community that is able to face suffering, a community that, that does good so that, that people see our good deeds and glorify God. How do we do that? Well, we read 1 Peter, it's all about it. And that's what his letter is about. But today, before he signs off, he's coming to the end of his letter, there are two things he talks about that are key to being that kind of community. One is all about leadership, and the other one is about the kind of community that is being led. And that's what we're going to look at. First of all, verse five, chapter 5, verse 1 to 4. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be. Not greedy for money, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. It's the first thing then. Jesus-shaped leadership. That's what these communities need to have to be like Peter is kind of painting. The description, what's at the heart of it? Number one is Jesus-shaped leadership. Now, remember who Peter is. We could do a bit, if we had time for interaction, I could ask you all the things you know about Peter if you know the Bible a little bit. He was the main disciple. He was one of the uh, acknowledged leaders of the early church, one of the twelve. We know what he used to be like from the Gospels, from his personal story. He, he was kind of at the front always. He was the one who was always the mouthpiece of the disciples. Often he put his foot in it when he, when he was. Uh, Peter was not someone to be kind of backward in coming forward. He was the apostle. He was in many ways the main man. But here, there's none of that, is there? He just comes alongside the leaders of these church communities. He says, I'm talking to the elders, the church leaders. And he says, I'm coming alongside with you as a fellow elder. Not an apostle, not the number one man, not the top dude, not this, not that. Just as another elder, as another church leader, I'm coming alongside you, he says to them. Elders, that's uh, what the... uh, New Testament word is for church leaders. Sometimes it's translated presbyters or bishops or overseers. It's the same Greek word. And and the structure, it appears to be, from the New Testament, in those early churches, there'd be groups of bunches of, uh, of leaders who would work in teams as elders. And that's what he's talking uh, to here. Leadership is key, isn't it, to the health of any community. And Peter just wants to help them with it. He's not throwing his weight around. He comes alongside them with encouragement and some teaching. He, look at the verse line, I appeal to you. He's not even saying, look, I'm telling you this, or I'm admonishing you, or do what I say. He's like, I'm appealing to you. Just, just hear me out. Just, just listen to me for a minute. And uh, he comes very gently. He shows them how it's done. Actually, in the way he writes, in some ways. He tells them to be examples, and he's doing it himself. Well, what shaped Peter's life, his ministry, his leadership? What was the key shaper of it? Well, he says here, doesn't he, in the first verse, he says, I was a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who will also share in the glory. His knowledge of Jesus shaped his life and his ministry, his leadership. 
He witnessed Jesus' sufferings. He told other people about it. He actually saw Jesus in his glory. Remember the story of the transfiguration. If you're thinking, what's all this about? Don't worry. Um, in the new year, we're going to do a series on the life of Peter, so you're, all of this will, will, will slot into place. But one time, Peter and some other disciples saw Jesus in all his glory. And he knows he's going to share that glory with Jesus one day, as, as he was telling the, 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 the guys that he's writing to in the previous chapter. Look at verse 1. He says, I was a witness of Christ's sufferings. Look at verse 4. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory. He puts this in a time frame. Do you see that? A time frame there. Peter looks back and he says, I'm looking back to my time. I was there with Jesus. We've got this, this writing is from somebody who was there, who saw Jesus, who saw him suffer, who witnessed his resurrection. It's absolutely anchored there. He said, I saw that. I know that. I know that to be true. I know it's reliable. And then he talks about leadership. And then he says in verse 4, I'm looking forward to the end, that time when Jesus appears again. He's kind of framing what he says about leadership between the event of Jesus coming, what he saw, what he did, what Peter saw, what Jesus said, what he did, what's recorded for us in the Gospels, in the epistles, and then that future time when Jesus is going to reappear again at the end of all things. That's his time frame. What's that got to do with us? Well, where are we in that time frame? We're about here, aren't we? Or, or maybe we're here, we don't know. Or maybe we're back here. But the thing is, we live, we serve, we are believers between the events of Jesus coming and the events of him appearing again. And that is exactly why the New Testament is so helpful, why it's so key. Because what we have from Peter and from Mark and Luke and Paul and all those other writers are exactly eyewitness of right anchoring into exactly what Jesus said and did at that point in history. And it's relevant because it connects us with then as we look forward to his appearing when it's all going to be sewn up. So read the New Testament and the Old Testament. There's Bible reading notes today, they are, aren't they? They're available today. If you don't read the Bible, do read it. Give it a go at least. Do more than that. But if you need help, there's some stuff in the foyer to help you. It's really important. And leadership in Christian communities then is in this line of Jesus. We connect through the Apostles' words, through the New Testament, with what Jesus did and said and, 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 and who he is. And Peter was told himself, one time, to be a shepherd leader in John 21. Do you remember that story? After the resurrection, Peter has denied Jesus, he's run away and everything, and Jesus reinstates him and Jesus tells him to be a shepherd to his sheep. To Jesus' sheep. That's what Peter's told. You can read it in John 21. That's where Peter gets all this stuff about leadership from. From that conversation on the beach with the Lord Jesus. Jesus said, Peter, you're going to be a shepherd. You're going to be a leader. It's a shepherd that I want you to be. That's why he's the kind of leader he is, Peter. That's why he's encouraging these leaders to be like that. 
And that's where we are in leadership, whatever kind of leadership you're in as a Christian, in Christian leadership. You may don't have to be an elder to be in leadership. Wherever you are, you're in that line of Jesus. Like him, till he comes and we'll get prizes. How about that? <laughs> it says, until um, the day when he appears, you'll receive a crown of glory. The idea, you know, when you won the Olympics in the old days, you didn't get a gold medal, you got a garland. And that's the kind of idea. Have you ever thought of Christian leadership like that? In the line of Jesus. But also, it's leadership in the way of Jesus. Because Jesus is a shepherd. He describes himself as a shepherd, doesn't he? In the, in the Gospels, John 10, Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. It's how the Old Testament describes leaders. Ezekiel chapter 34, if you're taking notes, you can look it up. How God, it's how the Bible describes God in leadership. God is described as the shepherd of his people. He's the, the shepherd leader. It's what the Old Testament promises the Messiah will do in Isaiah 40. When Isaiah looks forward to a day when, when you know, everything's going to be kind of wound up and God's going to do his thing again and everything's going to be seen in the open. Uh, this figure, the Messiah, Isaiah 40, who of course we know is Jesus, is described as one who will kind of look after his people like a, a shepherd carrying like lambs in his arms. It's a picture of God's ultimate leadership of his people. Shepherd, shepherd, shepherd. That's God's model of leadership. And Peter says, it's God's flock, he says to these elders. It's under your care, it's been entrusted to you, but it's God's, they're God's people. They're not yours. It's a serious business, leadership, as a Christian. It really matters. Well, what does this shepherd leadership look like? Well, there's two elements of it, and we see it in other parts of the New Testament. We see it here. Peter says, you're to um, be shepherds of the flock, but you're also to lead, to be uh, overseeing it. There's these two elements, leadership and feeding, caring for people. And we see both of them uh, worked out in other New Testament passages. But Peter's going to give them a bit of practical advice, some practical stuff here. How does leadership, shepherd leadership work? What does it look like then? Well, first of all, Peter says, well, look at why you do it in those verses. He says, look, don't be forced to do it. Don't be driven into it. He says, be shepherds not because you must. Don't be driven by other people's expectations or your own expectations. He says, just be willing to do it. Be available to do it. Do it because it's what God wants you to do, he says there. So if you're in leadership, you're thinking, well, you know, I'm only doing it because of so-and-so and so-and-so, and so, or, 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 you know, uh, no, don't do it because you want to do it. It might be in a church, it might be in a small group, it might be in some part of the ministry in, in this church, in the CU, or in the Navigators, or whatever group you're in. There's a principle there, isn't there? If, if you're really saying, I don't want to do this, I'm only doing it because... There's no one else to do it, or da-da-da-da-da, or da-da-da. I'm like, well, Peter's saying, don't do it for that reason. That's no reason to do it. What did you do if you feel like that? And what leader sometimes doesn't? Would you quit? Well, you know, don't quit too, too suddenly, especially in leadership in Portsmouth. But, 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 if, it, but if, that's, if that's the only resolution, yeah, quit. Or get your heart into a place 
well, you're no longer doing it because I don't want to do it, but I'm doing it because of so-and-so, till you're there because you want to do it, because you're available, because you're willing, because you know it's what God wants you to do. Why you do it? Very practical. Secondly, what sustains you in leadership if you're doing leadership? Well, Peter says don't do it for, for what you can get out of it, whether it's money or status or a great office or, you know, the best car park, get the best parking place in the car park. I know some, some churches have a, have a space that's pastor, don't they, in, in the car park. We don't do that here. Park anywhere in the car park, that's, that's fine. You know, you don't do it for those kind of reasons, for what you can get out of it or personal value. You know, if you do it, yeah, maybe if you do a job or leadership because of what you can get, money or perks or great travel or, you know, you think it'd be good to do this. It doesn't, that will not sustain you in it, will it? Have you been there when you thought early days, well, I really like this, you know, I like a bit of travel, I like a so-and-so, and And it's about, what, three, six months, and you think, oh, this 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 is not it. What sustains you in it? Not what you get there. Don't do it for what you can get out of it. Don't be sustained in leadership because of, you know, it, it, it feeds you in some way or it, it fills up your bank account. Now, that's very rare, by the way, in Christian leadership, but it can happen. Now, do it because you want to. Do it because God's put you there. Do it because it's for him. Peter's practical as well, not just about... Um, um, uh, what sustains you in it, he goes on to say how you go about it. How do you go about leadership? Peter remembers what Jesus told the disciples. Do you remember what he told them? Mark chapter 10, verse 42. I'll read it to you. Just listen to this. Mark 10, verse 42. He called the disciples together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers or, or leaders of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Four of the most important leadership words in the New Testament. Not so with you, says Jesus. That's not how it's meant to be. So how is it meant to be? Well, he fortunately describes that. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Serving, not lording it over people. Peter says you're meant to be examples if you're a leader. It's interesting, he says what you are. He said you're being examples. He doesn't actually say you're setting an example. You can talk about that in the house groups. It's one of the questions. What's the difference between setting an example and being an example? Or am I just kind of splitting hairs? Being what you are. Alongside people. It's what Peter's doing as he writes. Shepherd. It's not the most sought after job. Even in the days before you had quad bikes, I suppose it'd be quite, you see, you could be a shepherd thing. I'd love to be on a quad bike, you know, because shepherds have quad bikes, don't they? So I'm going off on one here, but you can ride around. But actually, um, you know, you get tired of the quad bike, you know, after a little while, you see. It's not the most sought after job in the New Testament, being a shepherd. Looking after those sheep, feeding them, leading them, out there with them in all weathers, caring about them. But it's what Jesus did, and it's how he expects us to be as leaders. 
So wherever you might lead, and it might be in a church, it might be in a group, it might be in a project, it might be just on a short-term thing, wherever it is, as a believer, do it the Jesus way. Be a shepherd. Leadership shaped by Jesus. But it's not just about leaders, it's about the community being led. And that's the second area. Let's read on for the last couple of verses. Because Peter's going to describe the community that's being led. And we're going to see that it's a service-based community. We hear about service-based economies. Well, this is a service-based community, but that doesn't mean they work in call centres. It's something different, as you will see. Verse 5. Young men in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Peter talks about this service-based community. He's talking to everyone else. It's connected, interestingly, to what he's just said to the leaders. He says, young men, in the same way, be submissive in the same way. And now, he's telling young men to be submissive to leaders. That, as we saw in chapter 2 and chapter 3, that word submissive is not the kind of thing that you get kind of beaten into submission. It's the idea of being subject, willingly taking the servant kind of role. The attitude of the servant. And Peter says, actually, it's not just for the young men, actually. Look, he goes on to say, all of you, all of you. What does he tell all of you to do? Well, to to serve. See, leadership that serves like Jesus naturally leads to communities that do the same. So Peter says, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. And that word, clothe yourself, I meant to do it. I'm, I'm sorry, I forgot. What I meant to do at this point, you have to imagine it. I would get out from under here a pair of pink rubber washing up gloves um, and was going to put them on but I forgot to get them I was going to get them out of the kitchen so you have to imagine it instead but that's what that word describes it's the word that was used when a slave got, got you know in a, in a Roman household or a Greek household put on a kind of apron to, to get on with the job that was the word that was used and Peter is saying to these believers it's like when you put the rubber gloves on before you do the washing up He says, look, be like that. Clothe yourselves with humility. It's what Jesus did on that night before he was betrayed. He was betrayed, rather. He he, he took his jacket off and he wrapped a, a, a towel around his waist. He took a bowl of water and he started washing his disciples' feet. It's that action. And Peter says that we should be willing to serve to have that spirit, and we should do that as intentionally and deliberately as we get dressed in the morning. He says, clothe yourselves with that attitude. You know, you have to get dressed in the morning, don't you? Otherwise, we'll be here in our dressing gowns or whatever. With the same kind of intentionality, the same way in which we get dressed, we clothe ourselves with that servant attitude. And Peter says it's towards one another. It's worked out in uh, relationships. It's not some disembodied attitude of humility. 
some kind of, well, I'm really humble on the inside. He said, no, it's towards one another. You see it as you spend time in community with one another. Why do you do that? Well, Peter tells us why. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. When you do that, when you put it on, when you put the apron on, you know what, as everyone says these days, you find God there. That's what he's saying. You find God's grace there. God gives his resources, his help. Something from outside of you that is just amazing. It's almost intangible. In fact, maybe you're not conscious of it, but other people might be. God's grace, God's ability, God's resources, the Holy Spirit at work. As we deliberately take the metaphorical rubber gloves and put them on in our hearts, in our heads, in our relationships towards other people, we find God at that point with us. And you know, Peter says a really frightening thing. Not only do we get grace, we find God's grace as we put on humility. There's those four very terrifying words. God opposes the proud. Do you want to be opposed by God? I certainly don't. I can't think of anything worse. So we need to take it seriously. He's quoting the Old Testament in that. And he says, this is for all of us, all of you, everyone. Now, how do you do that? Peter says, humble yourself under God's mighty hand. What's all that about? Well, what really matters to you? What matters to me? Peter's saying, look, it, it, God's hand, God's, your relationship with God, his presence... The hand of God in the Old Testament refers to two things usually. Either it's God's rescuing, it talks about God rescuing people with his mighty hand and outstretched arm, and that's the most frequent way it's used. But it also can be used in the sense of God disciplining. But whatever it is, it's this idea that we only care about what God thinks. It's not about other people. It's not about our status. It's not about anything other than God, the security that we have, the fact that we know him, as we shall see what he's like, how he cares for us. All that matters, out of our security in God, we're able to put on the rubber gloves and become servants to one another. Just as Jesus did, I won't read it now, but later if you're interested in following that, read John chapter 13. And right in the middle of it, John describes how it was. John says this, he says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Whew, you know, that's an amazing statement. So then John says, so he got up, (laughs) took off his outer clothes and took the towel and poured the water into the bowl. Now, I, I think, how did John know that? Well, Jesus must have told him, or the disciples. Or, you know, I wonder whether John had a, a discussion later after the resurrection. Jesus, you know, what, what was going on there? Why did you do that? And maybe Jesus said, well, you know, at the time I was just so conscious I'd come from God. I was going to God. I knew, I knew all of that. You know, I, I was just so aware, so secure in God. I just thought, well, it had to be done, and I just did it. Out of his security, in his mission, in his relationship with God, he was able to take the towel, as it were. <coughs> and serve. 
So for me and for you, is who we are with God, where we are with him, is that really the main thing in our lives? It's a lot easier to be genuinely humble, if that is. Peter knew that. He experienced great pride. He crashed. He came back to the Lord. He was recommissioned with that personal uh, uh, calling of Jesus to love him. Jesus says to Peter three times, do you love me, Peter? And Peter says, yes, I do. And And Jesus says one day, I want you to be the shepherd of my sheep. And Peter was different from then on. Nothing else mattered anymore. He was under God's hand. So how do you do that? Under God's mighty hand. Finally, how do you do it? Verse 7, you do it knowing God's care. See, humbling ourselves under God's mighty hand is not about some kind of cringing, shrunken person. It's more like abandoning ourselves to God. Peter tells us to cast all our anxiety on him. It's the same word, you know the story in the uh, Palm Sunday, you remember disciples, it's donkey, they took their cl- got their coats, took them off, and they threw them on the back of the donkey, donkey there. The, the word that's used is the same. Take it off, put it on the, the donkey, that's what they did with the coats. And, and Peter is saying, like that, your anxiety, the things that are worrying you, we can take as a deliberate act, somehow... We can give it to God. How do you do that? Well, it's good to pray out loud. You need to pray it. Not just think it. Take it out of your worry bank, as it were, or churning up inside it, and, and say a prayer out loud and give it to God. Maybe it's to write that prayer down. Maybe it's to pray it with another person. There's some ideas in the house group notes about how you could do that in your group. But the key thing is, that Peter says, God wants to take it. He wants it. You can cast it onto him because he cares for you, is what he says. See, anxiety gets us all preoccupied on ourselves. I'm not judging that, it's just how, how it is, how we are. We kind of get so stuck on the things that are worrying us, it's hard to, to kind of click out of the groove into anything else, let alone, let alone being humble and serving other people. It's very hard. But God is willing to take them, to carry them, because he really cares. Does that mean they disappear completely? Does it mean our circumstances suddenly get better? Well, maybe not. Might do, but they might not. But uh, we will be a little bit different. We might change, even if our circumstances don't. Peter's quoting a psalm, Psalm 55, verse 22. The psalmist said, in a very hard time, David writes, roll your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. So in our community, we need leadership that is Jesus-shaped. We need to be a community that serves. We need to know God's grace. We need to say no to pride. We need to learn how it is. And it's not easy. This is not some quick, easy fix. But we need to, to know the discipline of being able to cast our anxiety onto him. So let's be like that as a community as we move on together. Let's bow and pray. Lord, we pray that we may be people who really understand that you care so much for us. 
And that, Lord, you want to exercise that care in the way we lead. You want to care for us as we lead those of us who are leaders in different areas. You want us to be examples. Lord, you want us to take that servant role. Lord, we all find it really difficult. We pray that as we do it, we may find your grace, your presence there. So, dear Father, we pray that you would take us forward in these areas. If there are things we need to to bring to you individually, may we be able to do that. So that we are really able to, to live the way you want us to do. In Jesus' name, amen.